0: Welcome to African American Conservatives, the soul of the conservative movement, your source for news and commentary from a cultural and right of center perspective. African American Conservatives. Welcome to African American Conservatives, the soul of the conservative movement. I'm your host, Marie Strader. Please be sure to visit us at acons.substack.com. And there you will find links to our commentary, our podcast right here, all of our social media platforms, everything acons you will find at acons.substack.com. I'm thrilled because if you have followed ACONS over the last few weeks, uh, you will have seen that we have a very good friend in Adrian Ross. I've been on her podcast a couple of times. We had a lot of fun mixing it up, and we're going to do the same today, uh, and so she's agreed to be on our show, and so let me introduce you to Adrian Ross if you haven't met her already. Adrian Ross is an author, columnist, editor, speaker, and former teacher and coach. She spent her career in education teaching English language arts in the Hudson City School District in Hudson, New York for nearly 20 years. In 2013, she accepted a position as an editor and moved to Southeast Missouri. Through Adrienne Ross Communications, Adrienne speaks at schools, churches, national and international service organization conferences. She also teaches courses via her online school, ARC Academy. As a John Maxwell Certified Speaker, Trainer, and Coach, Adrienne offers presentations, keynote addresses, and coaching, providing leadership training, inspiration, guidance, and accountability to groups and individuals. Adrienne has written for politicians, public figures, newspapers, and websites. She is a former editorial board member and columnist at the Southeast Missouri newspaper. In addition to her writing, she has a podcast called The Adrian Ross Show. She now has her own column, and you can access it as well as her podcast at adrienneross.substack.com. Welcome to the show, Adrian. Hello, Marie. I'm glad to be with you. Thank you for the invitation. It's so good to see you. It's always good to see you. Yes. So, you know, for folks who know that I was recently on your show, uh, they know a little bit about you, but I want to start out with the fact that you just celebrated your 100th episode. So uh, that was very exciting. Yeah. I want to know a little bit about the impetus for your podcast, how that whole thing got started, uh, where you are with it now, and some of the biggest takeaways mm-hmm. uh, that you have gotten from having 100 episodes under yeah. your belt.
1: Yeah, I'm so glad you're giving me the opportunity to celebrate yet again the 100th episode of The Adrian Ross Show. I am so excited about that. Let me tell you, first of all, why I'm so excited. You know, a lot of times you see people, they start something and then they just kind of peter out and they don't persevere. But to look back and go, wow, 100 episodes, I made it, I persevered, is really exciting for me because I believe in finishing what... You start. Um, the Adrian Ross Show. Well, my mama always said to me when I was little, Adrian, you talk from the time you wake up to the time you go to sleep. <laughs> I've heard that from being a little bitty person, you know, but I had to tell my mama, it has served me well as a teacher, as a speaker, and as a podcaster. So a friend of mine, had a group of people on his network he founded called the BMG Network, named after himself, the Burns Media Group. And he talked to me about joining in with this group because he knows I can run my mouth. They're people of faith. They talk about politics. They talk about culture. They talk about their faith. And that fit in with me. And so I finally jumped on board. As we know, now we're 100-plus episodes. And so... You know, we're 100 and counting and I'm still digging in there, talking about politics, talking about culture, all that. What have I learned? Well, I learned. Well, I already knew I had a lot to say, but I learned, particularly in this new year, the value of something you already know, Marie. And that is not just being a voice myself, not just running my own mouth, but also having guests in. I think having guests come in enriches what I already do and so I've made a commitment in this new year to do more of that still running my mouth as you can tell but also allowing more people to come in and add to the conversation there's so much to talk about these days and there's truth to be told and I really believe I have a mandate to speak that truth it's not just running my mouth it's what I'm running out of my mouth and that is truth and faith and and all those good things yeah
0: well, you know, one of the things that I love the most about your podcast is, you know, and I'm trying to be delicate in the way that I say this, but you and I are rarely delicate with each other. Yeah. You and I, yeah. <laughs> when we're not on camera, <laughs> and exactly. even sometimes when we are, we kind of let things fly. But you know, the problem I see in the conservative space, uh, particularly with black conservative pundits, if you will, is there is the propensity and I, and I don't use this word lightly, but I'm just going to call it as it is. There's a propensity to pander. Um, and, and then there's also uh, sort of the disclaiming everything kind of conservative talking head, if you will. And the thing that I love about you and the reason why I think you and I click as well as we do is because you and I, as people who are... Um, espousing a faith in God. And, you know, we don't lie, uh, is that we speak it like it is. And yeah. so we call out people on the right as well as people on the left. Um, Absolutely. and so how has that helped or hindered you in some ways? Um, just being a call it as it is kind of
1: person. Mm-hmm. I think it has garnered respect from people who appreciate the truth. Um, I always say I'm nothing if not fair, and as you said, we click in that way. When I had you on the show um, recently, I said that I knew that if I had you on, I didn't have to worry about you um, not being real, not speaking out. I knew that that you're going to come with the truth, and that's what you get when you get Adrian. You know, I I did a two recent um, wrote two recent columns in which I in one criticized. Former President Donald Trump, and in another, I criticized Florida Governor Ron DeSantis, both 2024 candidates. Mm-hmm. Now, I, I like Trump at this point; he's my guy, you know. Um, but that doesn't mean that I that I worship him. And so, I took some criticism um, when I when I you know promoted what I wrote on social media because there are some people who really are not interested necessarily in truth. They just want you to say what they want you to say. I'm not willing to do that. And I'm not afraid to speak what is true. I'm not trying to be ugly. I'm not trying to be obnoxious. But I can appreciate someone and still give constructive criticism or feedback, you know? And that's that's what I do. I want to be fair. I don't want to be somebody's yes woman. I really don't. We got enough of that.
0: You know, and that's the crazy thing, I think, is I've seen, you know, you and I talked about our predictions for the presidential election cycle. And, you know, there are some people that are just Trump rah-rah, no matter what he does, no matter what he says. And it's just like it is almost kind of like cult worship. And I'm not I'm not down for that. No. Um, there, as you know, has only been one perfect person that has ever walked this earth and his last name wasn't Trump. So, That's right. That's you know, it was Jesus Christ. Yeah. So, um,
1: and even so, Trump has told the people that, <laughs>
0: yeah. so Jesus
1: yeah, yeah. The two, he, he did
0: yeah. say that. And uh-huh. so, you know, it, it's hard for me when I see people that kind of engage in that, uh, behavior, because I think that, we're not going to have perfection on this side of eternity. And so to set that up and make it seem like, you know, um, you know, God's anointed and that kind of stuff um, is, I don't know. It's hyperbole, I think. Mm.
1: Yeah. Well, I I do believe that God has anointed people for particular purposes, but he certainly hasn't anointed them to be him. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Exactly. When people do wrong, I mean, or, or if, I've see, if I perceive it as wrong, I feel that I'm being hypocritical and disingenuous if I don't speak to that. Or if I just criticize one, but I don't criticize the other. But, Marie, I'm not just all about criticism. When, when praise is merited, That's I'm willing right. to give that, too. I do that. But I want to speak the truth across the board. And if that causes me to get, as was in what I wrote about in my column, um, what I talked about in my podcast if that gets me an FU, which he got me. Wow. And so be it.
0: That was crazy. Yeah. Now, I want to kind of talk about what you did say, though, because um, you uh, did write a little something about um, the uh, battle between Donald Trump and Ron DeSantis as painful to watch. Why did you say that?
1: And this was early on, too, I wrote this. Um, And Ron DeSantis wasn't even in the race yet, but he didn't have to be in the race yet for uh, Trump to go after him. You know, He gave him the nickname, Ron DeSanctimonious, and now he, I guess, sometimes calls him Rob for some reason. But it was just painful to watch because I think they're both good guys. I think they both love the country. We obviously know that Ron DeSantis has done some good things. And originally, you know, Ron, Ron was not—I mean, DeSantis—I just call him Ron. DeSantis was not going after after Trump, but eventually he he stepped up and he's like, you know, I gotta I gotta show some some spine, I guess. But why? Because they're both good guys who love the country, and I think that you beat the mess up out of each other. One of you will probably be the nominee, but you don't tore each other down so bad. Listen, let's take that energy and let's go towards the enemy, the ultimate enemy, so to speak. And that is, we know, President Biden. We've got to take him out. So these two guys, beat and I understand, I believe in contested yeah. primaries and all that. But if you just beat the snot out of each other right out of the gate, what's going to be left that anybody's going to believe in?
0: And I, you know, I think that Ron DeSantis is probably going to end up being the the VP. Well, could be, he could be, that would be an unbeatable ticket, I think. But, you know, you've done all this bashing through the whole primary process to the point where it's kind of like, it's not even a believable partnership, which is, is, yeah, it's kind of a weird sort of well, thing. And I feel like, you know, the junior high school girl, who's got two best friends and I'm in the middle and they have a fight with each other. And I'm like, uh, I'm still friends with you, and I'm still friends with you. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So I'm not going to pick. You know, yeah. I mean, I want the best nominee. Obviously, yeah. and the process, kind of winnows that out. Yeah. Um, but I don't really like to see this
1: bashing. I, no. I want them
0: to save it up for the Democrats,
1: right? And I, I believe that you, you know, you have to call people out on their records and sure. everything like that. I understand that, but yeah, we, and you hit the nail on the head because we saw that with. Uh Biden and Kamala Harris, now vice president. Yeah. I mean, he was a racist as far as she was concerned, etc. And then all of a sudden she's proud to be on the ticket with him. And you know what? We're still talking about it. People remember that. Yeah. You know, and so in a lot of these people who love DeSantis before he got into before it was thought that he was getting into the race, all of a sudden he's a bad guy. You know, yes. and I'm like, guys, come on. You know, and and there's some talk about well, where his money's coming from and all that. So if you got legitimate concerns, fine, um, voice those. But just to just hate him because Trump is going after him, to me, you, you I can't take you seriously. Now,
0: as we talk about Ron DeSantis, um, what are you? What is your opinion as an educator? Uh, the whole kerfuffle about uh, the controversy around the AP um, African American studies curriculum.
1: Yeah. So he's getting a bad rap because he's a racist because he's against the teaching of CRT and indoctrinating children. No, like we talked about when you and I spoke about this on on my show, you were saying it's in the constitution that you're going to teach about black history. Am I right?
0: Yeah, well, yeah, it's in the Florida Education Code, right. it's absolutely in the Florida Education Code. Okay. You have to teach slavery, you have to teach, you know, s- certain things, but nowhere does it say you're supposed to teach queer theory and intersectionality and some of this right. made up poo. ha
1: Yes, and so there was the whole thing uh, with the NAACP yeah. and, you know, boycott Florida and all this because Ron <laughs> this because he doesn't like black people and he's not interested in black history. But it's the all- NAACP yeah. guy lives in Florida. And he lives yeah. in Florida and yeah. everybody else, you stay yeah. away, you stay in your, you know, whatever. Um, so I just think that it's more of the same with the left trying to, um, to make people on the right. Look like they hate black people. Listen, we want uh, education that benefits our students, including Black history, but not the CRT and not the LGBTQ agenda and all that stuff that they link together somehow. And it's just not—it's just not fair. And not the victimhood. I can't—I can't take the victimhood that we constantly pour into our our children. It's not right. It's abuse in a way. And so I have if I have any problem with Ron DeSantis, it's certainly not that. Right.
0: Now, speaking of history, we just celebrated Juneteenth a couple days ago. I think I've read some things that you wrote about Juneteenth. I wrote a few things about Juneteenth. Where do you stand on that issue for those who did not see your column on Juneteenth?
1: Okay. <clears throat> and I and I just linked back to a podcast that I did last year on Juneteenth. I have um I'm all for celebrating Juneteenth for those who, who want to celebrate. My The point of my podcast a year ago that I highlighted again this year was the hypocrisy that I see from some black people, I guess white people as well. There are people who constantly want to paint the country as a racist country that are standing out, uh, standing against true freedom and all this stuff. And yet Juneteenth comes and it's like rah, 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 celebrating our free, you know, celebrating that freedom um, that that came down to Galveston there. I'm thinking either either we're um, either we have we don't have freedom, either we're racist and there's nothing to celebrate. Or there's something to celebrate, but you can't have it both ways. So some of the same people who are all with the T-shirts, Juneteenth, this, Juneteenth, that, the next day and the next day and the next day, America is a horrible country and um, and we're- Brittany Griner. Yeah, Brittany Griner, yeah. The Brittany Griner syndrome. Yeah, the, and that's- yeah. What, that. So I have no problem necessarily with, with Juneteenth, other- uh, uh, other than maybe thinking, well, I mean, can we just celebrate the Emancipation Proclamation? Um, I watched a Twitter, what do they call Twitter Spaces and you think it was a whole conversation on that and I listened to some of the thought about that. And again, it's like, okay, so maybe we should be, it should be the Emancipation Proclamation we celebrate, not just when these people found out. Um, But again, you wanna celebrate, celebrate, but what about the other 364 days? is America really that bad? And if so, why are you celebrating so hard? You know, hardly. You may disagree with my perspective. No, I
0: actually do agree with your perspective. I guess my issue was more of the, you know, it, it's like pride Month. It's like, you know, well, when is straight people's month or if it's black history, when is it white people's month? Just that kind of whole what about ism yeah, that yeah. was really bothering me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I don't know. I mean, I grew up with, around Juneteenth, so mm-hmm. I've celebrated it my whole life. It's not something that's new to me. And I can understand um, the fact that it's now a national holiday um, has sparked a conversation with people that are maybe not familiar with the holiday. Right. But for those of us who've grown up with it, you know, yeah, it's kind of weird now to think about, well, I can't do it as a national holiday because da-da-da-da-da. I mean, it's just it's like ingrained in certain in communities of color it's just like always been um there's always been like celebrations so it's weird to me that we would now have to move the celebration to a different day it's kind of like you know Mexican independence there's like two different days and oh. so some people celebrate one in September the other one celebrates you know the one in May and so I I don't know that I would shift that because it's already kind of a tradition in communities of color. And and it's always about, well, listen to black voices and, you know, we need to really uh, celebrate with our allies. And then all of a sudden it's like, well, I don't like that day. Um, that's not a convenient day to have my bank closed. And so, I mean, I had some issues with that, you know, yeah. or the people that were like, and I won't mention the person's name, but there's a certain person that is venerated in some circles in conservatism who said that it was ghetto and a made-up holiday. Mm. Now, maybe her youth, I'm going to say that uh, Mm. because, you know, I'm probably a good 30 years older than she is. Yeah. Uh, So I'm just going to say maybe she is not as informed as I am and having grown up around it. Um, but that set my teeth on edge and that did not sit well with me because that is a it's a fact that it's been celebrated it was celebrated in Galveston back in the 1800s and -hmm. it's still celebrated I mean like I said I've been celebrating it for six almost 60 years Mm -hmm. so I don't I don't yeah. I have issues with people that are treating it like it's a new thing right. or that someone has suggested that we replace independence day with it. We have not, mm-hmm. or that we celebrate. We say we're going to now have lift every voice and sing as the black national anthem. They call it that because it was written during a time when America was segregated. And that was the national anthem that we sang. Yeah. Um, but you know, it's not, no yeah. one's suggesting that it, that it, supplant right. our national anthem yeah, yeah. and so people take it a little yeah. too far i think because oh. they're cranky and they want to you know anytime you talk about anything that's black yeah. they just kind of want to take it away from
1: you and i wasn't having it at the end. no i hear you i hear you let, let me say this too another i didn't talk about that in that podcast i don't believe but one thing that bugs me too about it being a national holiday and all that i don't like being exploited and I, I really think even when you talk about the whole reparations thing for the left, a lot it's the it's another opportunity to sort of reel in even more, a hold tighter to black people, uh, the black vote. And I and I feel like in some ways we're being used. Um and I and I don't necessarily believe that everyone's motive is right. And that was a part of the conversation I heard on Twitter. It's sort of like I don't know, is it to really celebrate freedom for some, or is it to keep the the division alive? And I think I don't trust the motives, and it doesn't mean it's not a good thing. Like you said, people were celebrating anyway, with or without the, you know, the conference of a national holiday. Exactly. I just, you know, I just don't trust, some of these, some of these motives, and that that makes me a little uncomfortable, also.
0: And that's a great point, I think, because you know, as we see uh, a lot of this wokeism, right? You know, people are using things that I might think are good things on the face of it to promote some crazy kind of hoo ha. For example, of course, Black Lives Matter, but the organization. Black right. Lives Matter stands for some stuff that I can't get on board with. I mean, it says that it's there to disrupt the nuclear family. I mean, they yeah. they hijacked a bunch of money and took Yeah, it's got, corrupt. Got yeah. mansions with it and didn't do a, a single thing for the black community. Yeah. Um uh, so that's kind of an issue that I have Yeah. um around it.
1: That, well, I, Listen, I have an issue with anybody having to constantly tell us black lives matter and yeah. it just and we just get off on that and to me it just speaks to the victim mentality we have and that we have not healed yet. And some of us have not healed even though we personally have not gone through some of the things, but yet we're, we still haven't healed. And I hate to say it, and this is probably a conversation for another day, but I'm not sure certain people want to heal because they don't No, You know, they don't. So, you know, some people understand what we mean by that. And some people don't. what do you mean you don't want to heal? Well, there are a lot of people who don't want to heal in life because then they can't use that um, to, to hold over someone else's head. And so, you know, Black, yeah, Black Lives Matter, but when you know when you matter, I think I've written about this before. When you matter, you don't have to tell people over and over you matter. You just go about mattering.
0: Exactly, and yeah. black babies in the womb would matter. The fact that, that over 20 million have been aborted since Roe v. Wade, the fact that their lives have been snuffed out, and that we lay down and do it. I mean, we didn't need massa to come snatch our babies out of yeah. our hands. We are laying down our lives, and so you know th- that yeah. would matter.
1: Yeah. So yeah, I yeah, don't don't either. don't don't talk about that and don't talk no, about oh, no, Parenthood. No, don't talk about Margaret no, Sanger no. because oh no, no, no. no, no. no. It's it's that's the hypocrisy. Exactly. Yeah. So. Exactly.
0: Now, one of the things that you and I are a little famous for is that we take a little bit of video, we watch it together, and then we kind of react. So I've got some video that I would like to play for you today. Now, the thing that you and I have talked about over the last couple times, if you, like I said, you all should go to Adrian Substack because you'll see the the first two things that that we talked about if you're kind of uh, curious as to what we're talking about. But uh, when Tim Scott, uh, well, they talked about Tim Scott on The View. Mm -hmm. And the ladies were unkind. Mm -hmm. Uh, I'll just say that. Uh, They were a little unkind to Senator Scott. And so we dissected that Mm -hmm. and we watched it and we reacted to that. And then Senator Scott was on The View and defended himself beautifully Mm -hmm. and uh, ripped some some new ones for some yeah. folks <laughs> uh, and so uh since then former president barack obama has decided that he needed to get in on the conversation if you will so mm. i wanted to sit with you and i wanted for us to look at this video together let's and do it. see what he had to say about that
2: yes
3: i haven't spent a lot of time studying tim scott's speeches I think there is a long history of African American or other minority candidates within the Republican Party who will validate America and say everything's great and we can all make it. I mean, Nikki Haley, I think, has a similar mm-hmm. approach. She does, yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. But, you know, look at me. I'm an Asian, Asian, uh, Indian American woman, and my family came here and we worked our. Clarence Thomas has. Probably gave the same speech at some point, Mm -hmm. uh, I guarantee in some commencement, as did Alan Keyes, the first guy that I ran against. Yeah, I don't think it's a a, And look. I'm not being cynical about Tim Scott individually. I am maybe suggesting that the rhetoric of can't we all get along and those quotes you made about, uh, you know, from my speech in Mm -hmm. 2004 about there's a United States of America. That has to be undergirded with an honest accounting of our past and our present. And so if a Republican who may even be sincere in saying, Mm -hmm. I want us all to live together, doesn't have a plan for how do we address crippling generational poverty that is a consequence of hundreds of years of Racism in the society, and we need to do something about that.
0: Now, I have a few things to say about that, but I want to get your your
1: take on that first. First of all, I, I want to say that this speaks to what I was just talking about, and I noticed it on the view also uh, with with Sonny speaking to Tim to Senator Tim Scott. I don't think I don't think the people want the progress that they pretend to want it, it, it's almost like they want to keep us where we were such to such a degree that there's an offense that that Tim Scott who has shared his story who as you have pointed out on my show before <clears throat> has been real about some of the challenges Black people still face. So it's not like he's denying that. But you think that some of these people, including former President Barack Obama, do not want him to give a message of hope and give a message that says, hey, I don't have to be the exception. I can be the rule. And yes, we can make it in this country. The same positive positive message that supposedly Barack Obama was bringing and even— the keep hope alive. Um, why am I drawing a blank? Yes, we can. Yeah. Yes, we can. And you, Jesse Jackson, That there it is the keep hope alive and all that. Yeah. So it's almost like it cuts the legs off of their narrative when somebody says I made it, we can make it. That's the message we need to bring. So yeah, he names off these people who have shared these messages before. Okay. Well, look at his party. Their message is always, oh, racism. Oh, this is the greatest terrorist threat of our time, white supremacy and all that. They want to keep the narrative alive. Tim Scott, From what I understand, I haven't followed him extra close, but from what I understand and what I see, he recognizes there are challenges. He knows that we're looking for a more perfect union, that we're not there yet, but at the same time, we can get there. And that's the message we have to have. As far as how to get there, I don't think it's Democrat policies. I don't think it's Democrat leadership in these crime-infested cities. And I think then, Listen, we might want to look at some different policies and some different politicians, particularly as Black people.
0: You know what's so interesting about that, though? First of all, I mean, he is our first African-American president. Mm -hmm. So I thought it was a little nervy, I guess, for him to be talking about, oh, and look, I'm an Indian-American woman. You know, like... uh for him to kind of mock that when that was sort of Mm. you know his thing where it's like you know have we progressed to a point where we can have a black president and guess what we didn't vote for him just once it was twice so I thought it was a little odd that he went there Um, and the other thing that that really bothered me about that was just kind of saying that he's naive and not really addressing some of these problems as you and I talked about it on the show and as we'll Address in our next clip. Because I got one more clip for you. Mm-hmm. Um, as we'll address in our next clip, Tim Scott is well aware of a lot of the issues, uh, and so maybe we can cue that up and 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 watch that now.
4: By President Obama, when they whenever the Democrats feel threatened, they they pull out, drag out the former president, and have him make some negative comments about someone running, hoping that their numbers go down. Here is what people need to know. The truth of my life, disproves the lives of the radical left. You talk about addressing the issue of poverty. My Opportunity Zones have seen more than $50 billion go into the poorest, hardest-hit communities in this country. The majority of them are minority. Think about the HBCU funding that, in his administration, he totally missed it. We took the funding for HBCUs to the highest level in the history of the country, and then, Shannon, We made it permanent. And the radical left and the teachers unions refuse to allow quality education in big blue cities. I support school choice because I support common sense. The radical left and President Obama, they have failed, they have failed, and they have failed. We will make it happen. Under Scott, under my administration, we will make sure that kids have quality education in every single zip code. We'll work on Opportunity Zones 2.0 to make sure that we bring more resources, more opportunities, and more jobs to the hardest-hit areas, whether that's rural Iowa or inner-city Chicago. There is a way for us to alleviate poverty, not by race, but by the statistics themselves. That's what America stands for, and if anyone should be standing and shouting at the mountaintops that America is not a racist country. It should be the man that Americans supported twice for the nomination and becoming president. The evolution of America is palpable. Progress in this nation, undeniable.
0: So let's talk about.
4: Mm.
1: So let's get your take on that. My take. First of all, the the thing that jumps out at me most that kind of have my stomach uh, turning is that. Why is it I get the sense that because he's black and running for president as a Republican, he has to prove himself to be black enough to, to really be caring about the things that impact black people. And I, and I feel that there's that pressure, a pressure that it really doesn't seem Barack Obama had, for some reason, but because he's a Republican, we're not quite sure you're black enough. And so let's let's talk about what you have done. And I'm not saying it's not important because people do wanna know some things, but it is. I just feel like he has to spend his campaign defending himself as a black man who cares about black people who understands the concerns of other black people as if he has not lived the life. So more than anything, That's what jumps out at me. And that really turns my stomach.
0: You know, it's interesting about that because that I think in a nutshell, going back to our initial conversation uh, about black conservatism and some of the issues that that bother me. um, That is kind of always the position that we're in. We always default to that position where we have to give a defense for what we believe. Um, If you are a Democrat, you can say whatever you want. I mean, outlandish, crazy things out there. And you don't have to give a defense of it. You don't have to do anything. I mean, yeah. And, I don't want to be rude, but I'm just going to go there because, you know, it it happened this week. But for our press secretary to say that she's a historical figure, I mean, you can say stuff like that with absolutely no backup. Yeah. You know, you can say something like that with the hubris, the gravitas that's involved in that statement. You can say that and nobody says anything. But you say I have a proven record. That mm-hmm. I can stand on mm-hmm. coming up with writing the Justice Act, coming mm-hmm. up with the Enterprise Zones, coming up with the HBCU legislation, all of that kind of stuff. Yeah. He's got a record to stand on. That's why he's running for the presidency. Yeah, You well, know, as you and I talked about, he's yeah. got a record to stand on. He's not just making up facts out of the air. Yeah, But well, yes, he has to defend that in
1: right. front of a bunch of white people on The View. Who wants to check right? And speaking of that, you 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 have to remember what Whoopi Goldberg said, even in light of everything he has done. She said it's not enough. And here's the thing: it will never be enough. Why? Because he's black and he's he's a a Republican. Republican. He's a black Republican. So it will, it doesn't matter how long the list is. It's not the end of the sentence, Whoopi Goldberg will, the end of her sentence will be, but it's not enough because he's considered a sellout. That's just the bottom line because you're not really black. As of course, Biden had pointed out as well, anybody who didn't vote for him and voted for his opponent really bad. aren't black.
0: But now you see why I love Adrian Ross. Yeah, well, so we have to do another. We have to do another show. Yes,
2: yeah,
0: yes. <laughs> so if you're just joining us, our guest in this segment has been Adrian Ross. If you want more of Adrian Ross, and I mean, why wouldn't you? You have to go to her Substack. Adrian, tell us a little bit more about the Substack. Tell us the other places online where our audience can find you.
1: Well, one of the things I say, whether it's the podcast or the column, I say A to Z. Adrian is on it. There, there's, you know, it doesn't matter if it's, we talk about politics, we talk about culture, we talk about news. Hey, we, you know what, Marie, I got into the other day about Jeopardy. Oh my goodness. Oh yes. Three <laughs> candidates who, who <laughs> don't know the Lord's the Prayer. It blew my mind. Why? I mean, not to poke fun of them, but it speaks to the culture. So we we talk about those things, we write about those things, and um, even even sports, you know, like you mentioned Brittany Griner, but sports, I used to be a basketball coach. So it's this You know, some people say you have to niche down. I don't know if you've heard that expression. That's just not who I am. Uh, It's A to Z. I'm not in a box. So we talk about what matters to people, what's on the minds of people, and what's on on my mind. So again, that's adrianross.substack.com. And you can find my podcast there. You can find my columns there. You can subscribe. And there are various subscription options. And I'd love for you to do that. Appreciate the support as we speak the truth.
0: Awesome. Well, thank you so much for inviting me on to your show for coming on to this show. And you know, we gotta we gotta do a little something else, maybe another time, because we and I you and I could talk all day. <laughs>
1: yeah, we yeah. gotta do a little something, something. Thank you so yeah. much. And Maria, I really appreciate you and what you're doing, African American conservatives, and that we can come on each other's show and uh and just kind of talk it up because this is important conversation we're having. Thank you.
0: Thanks so much. All right, God bless you. Have less. All right. And so now we're at that point of the show where we get to bring DK in. DK, come on in. Tell us what you thought.
2: Hey. Hey. Marie. (laughs) How are you? Okay, how's it going? <laughs>
0: it's going.
2: Long time no speak.
0: Yeah, we t- see, that's the thing that people in the audience don't know. We talk <laughs> probably, I don't know, six, seven times a day. We text all day long. I was like, oh, hey, here's a story. We should talk about this. I can't believe it. Did you hear what so and so said? So, yeah.
2: We share our. Yesterday, yesterday we did the
0: thing about trans jester. I think that was the funny one yesterday. I don't know if our audience has seen that, but go on to, to, I think it was, was it Breitbart where, uh, our, our president talked about trans jesters.
2: Oh no. <laughs> so hashtag today is like, um, sis is not a slur.
0: Yeah. big well,
2: Hashtag today. So, yeah. so they, they want to normalize their gender dysphoria by making it sound like, um, just the other side of the coin, you know, like you're a cis woman, she or he is a, it's a trans woman. It's the same, cis, trans, it's just one side of the coin, you know, left, right, up. You down. wouldn't
0: have civilization if you didn't have people who are heterosexual. It's so those, those to, to normalize. I don't think it's
2: a bad thing. Yeah,
0: I mean to be able to uphold the way of procreation and keeping our society going yeah that's a a weight that i bear
2: yeah they, they want to stick a label in front of the gender of 90 what is it 98 of the population who are cis it just it just just seems just seem really pathetic to me i just wanted to mention that
0: well, you and I are going to discuss something today that I thought was kind of interesting. Uh, we've got some video queued up, and I'm, I'm going to walk us through this. So let's play this. This is something that the third member of ACONS, my husband, Sebastian, sent me the other day. Now, as you may know, Sebastian and I, hang on just a second, Sebastian and I uh, hail from the state of California. In fact, both of us and my oldest son were born in the city of San Francisco. And so San Francisco was my home for 36, almost 37 years. And then I moved to the South Bay, uh, Silicon Valley, for another 15, no, for another 20 years. Uh, so, yeah, it's uh, San Francisco was my hometown. And so, the thing that you need to know about this video that you're gonna see um, is that San Francisco was a thriving, uh, da- the downtown area was absolutely thriving. I mean, As a kid, uh, a single, uh, I I don't have siblings. I'm an only child. So I would spend hours and hours and hours in the downtown district of San Francisco where this video takes place. So every single one of these landmarks that this man chose as he walks uh, through here, I could tell you intimately about. Um, I I could tell you what stores have been there. I could tell you what it was replaced with, what it was when I, you know, 50 years ago. So it was shocking for my husband and I to see what it has become. And as you know, San Francisco now uh, has a tremendous homeless problem. It's always had a homeless problem, but it's gotten worse um, to the point where you're gonna see uh, in this video. And not only that, but it has uh, you know the poop maps and all of the crazy stuff, injection centers, Um, And and it is the home of kind of the the headquarters of this whole reparations movement. So first, I want to show you this video and then we'll get into it.
5: Guarding a Starbucks cafe. Insane. Here is one of their bands about to take a victory lap around downtown San Francisco. They own these towns. This is Market Street and Powell in downtown San Francisco where the store closures are happening. This corner right here is where the Gap store used to be for years. Now it's shut down. At least you can see some tourists returning to the city. But that's about it. We're walking downtown San Francisco and we're about to explore this new trend. All the stores are closing. People are patiently waiting in line for uh, the cable car to take him up Powell Street, empty Powell Street that is, what used to be a lot of retail stores. It's now just a ghost town. This entire block right here is completely closed. It's just empty front stores as we go
2: up Powell. It looks a lot like uh, during the pandemic, except this was recorded about a week ago Less than a week ago.
0: The interesting thing about this, and like I said, that line waiting for the cable car used to go all the way up the street. It was all the way up the block. Um, and there's another part of at the end of Powell Street that's equal, uh, where you know they wait for the cable car to turn around. And I mean, it was packed. Um, and so to see this, where it was just. Um, It was like what you would expect to see at times square or on new year's eve i mean that's the way it looked every single day every day of the week not just weekends but monday through friday and then on the weekends it was even more so um and so to see it kind of a ghost town now and at the end of this video if you see this video online we're uh, almost
2: there I'll i'll resume
5: okay Every single store on the right-hand side has closed. Only right here on the left we have a Sephora store and a Burger King. It's the only two that remain open. Empty cable cars. We are going up on Powell Street to see what's left of what used to be a Bustling, busy street, and now it's a ghost town. We have a sneakers sort of still open. this area right over
0: here
3: uh, is
0: where i used to shop as a kid i used to go there a little further up but i used to get all of my dance stuff there um and like i said just it was
2: i'm sorry your ballerina shoes.
0: My ballerina shoes on point. You'll see it in just a little bit. Um, it's the it's a little block up, but you'll see this this green store on the corner, and so that's the the block that it was in. And I mean, it it really was hard to walk because you know it was so crowded. And now I mean, this is just I never saw it even on like holidays. It was never this. Um just like vacant, you can resume it.
5: After that, the entire block, empty storefront, nothing, all vacant, it's the sign of e-commerce victory. I guess all that loving paid off. Right here we have retail for lease, huge storefront, empty. I don't know if this used to be like a Ross store or a Marshall, gone. I see a pharmacy, a Walgreens that's open. I'm surprised that's open. Let's see if it's still open. Yeah, it is open.
2: Cool.
0: And the crazy thing about this is that there are, um, you know, the policies where you can steal up to $950 worth of stuff and nobody will say anything. And the Walgreens were the ones that were hit the hardest.
3: And there's the building you can see it right
0: there, the green building right there on the corner is the, where I got my dance stuff.
2: I was going to say that it's it's mostly these uh, chain pharmacies where, um they're getting hit hard because so much of their stuff is easily resellable online. Yeah, yeah. So, and now they're trying to redesign the store so that, so that everything you want, you have to ask a, a clerk for. You know, you want a, a razor, you want aspirin. You have to order it and they'll come give it to you. And I've
0: told you that that my daughter and I, when we have been at, there's a CVS near where we used to live in San Jose. And um, it was always, you would hear over the loudspeaker, assistance in aisle one, assistance in aisle one. No one asked for assistance, but that's where all the makeup was. And of course, that's where, you know, all the hair products and that kind of stuff. So that's the stuff that gets stolen the most. So you look black, you wander in that area. And all of a sudden, you know, oh, can I help you, miss? You know, So, yeah.
2: Well, believe me, hard I not know. to get
0: the message.
2: I believe me, I know. I moved when I moved to New York City. I used to go into these stores, and it was like a SWAT team around me. Every time I walked into anywhere, you know, even even a bookstore, you know, one of those mega Barnes and Noble. As, soon as I walked in, I was surrounded, and they were making sure I, I w- wouldn't be able to steal anything. I just wanted a book, so yeah, but um. And now we're seeing the the inverse of that, when you can't stop anyone from shoplifting and you see the results.
0: Well, and it's interesting because, like I said, the policies, you know, the injection clinics, and the fact that they have an incredible homeless population and they've not even come close to solving the homeless crisis, and the person who heads up this whole conversation about reparations in San Francisco uh, is someone that I have known for well over 50 years. We went to grammar school together um, and uh, the city is broke. So I don't understand where they're going to come up with 5 million. I don't see how in this video, how are they going to even come up with $5 for every black person in San Francisco or the state, much less 5 million. But it's interesting to see what the person who made this video attributes all of this to.
5: Over there in the corner, we have another empty store. Yep. It is really dead over here. Right here, we have a zombie in the middle of the street. The place is closed. Uh, now we got to Ofero. Yep, and that's
0: right here where in the corner. Stuff was on the other mm-hmm. side. Yeah, this
5: is open. It's a hot store. Still, still open? open? Yeah, yeah, it's open they have a gar at the door.
0: Yep right there and now you're gonna see Union Square pretty soon.
5: We got Starbucks here. I think that's open. See that? The floor is empty as well. If we have the Sam's Cable Car Lounge, that's open. Says we need your support. You're going to need a lot of support. (laughs) Yeah. This right here is up, I mean, close. Retail for lease, 27 square feet. Five years ago. These we, this all these streets were crowded with people. Those days are gone. One way to deter.
0: Yeah, I all want to stop right there for a city. second. Did you notice that he said five years ago?
5: Police. What happened station? five
0: years ago? Five years ago, who was in office?
2: Yeah. Just that, that Newsom?
0: I mean, as president.
2: Oh, um, that was um, uh, was that Trump or Obama?
1: was Donald Trump. Okay. Yeah.
2: So that was, yeah, 2016, you're right. Yeah.
0: No, that's longer than that. Five years, yeah, 17.
2: Yeah, so Trump... 18,
0: yeah, 18, 17, in there. Yeah.
2: It was five years ago, Trump was in office. Yeah.
0: Let's okay, see, now you can finish it up here.
2: Here.
5: There's uh, four patrol colleges park right here outside of the store that's union square and this uh, mobile command unit right here and that little golf cart too these are all cops that station inside the stores just to deter the uh, crime that's going down here in downtown i think it's the only way i think it works it deters it but it doesn't end it all these cops working on the stores when, the, when it's a uh, break time come to this unit right here and take a nap.
0: Take a
1: nap.
5: And that's how they make their money too. This is downtown San Francisco where a lot of retail space is just vacant. A lot of stores are closing their doors. It's due to the high crime and the victory of the e-commerce. They are really winning this war. And as you can see, there are a little bit more tourists now, but you can see only the big stores are left like this. Uh, Louis Vuitton, let me show you. There's a Louis Vuitton right there. But if you see right there on the corner, there's a cop. That right there is a cop sitting on a hydrant. This is probably his patrol car right here. That is the only way to deter crime. And it's also there's an armed guard right in front of the store. And on a side note, joining the store closures, the hotels are also shutting down. Hotels that have been here in downtown area for decades are now closing. That's the end of the video. It's uncertain what's gonna happen in San Francisco. Only time will tell and maybe we'll be on my next video. See you next time.
0: So this guy is saying that it's due to e-commerce. San Francisco is one of the first places to enact $15 an hour. And you and I talked about that uh, way, way, way back in the early days of ACADS. Um, And so $15 an hour is not a sustainable wage for stores, as we can see, that have to play, pay these exorbitant rents for some of these uh, storefronts. Um, and so only the big stores can be anchor stores because those are the only ones that can, can afford some of that. Um, and then, when you enact policies that say, well, if somebody steals you blind or robs you blind, you know, they can do that. They can come in every day and steal up to a certain amount, and we're not going to punish them. And so, this is what's happening. And now, with tourists not even coming, I don't understand how it's sustainable. And it's the policies of these Democrat run cities for decades. The last time that San Francisco had a Republican mayor that I'm aware of was the year that I was born, 1964.
2: Well, well, I'm going to agree with Tim about the e-commerce, I think e-commerce is- is Oh, definitely.
0: But that's not the only thing. And I mean, it sounds like it's, oh, because of e-commerce, San Francisco has turned into a ghost town. No, it's because they're handing out poop maps. No, it's because homeless people are encamped on the streets so that you can't walk. No, it's because they haven't addressed any of the mental health problems that some of these folks have. No, it's because it's a $15 minimum wage. No, it's because a one bedroom, Two bedroom apartment is like three, four, five thousand dollars a month. No, it's because there is no longer a middle class in San Francisco. These are all systemic issues that have led to San Francisco being a ghost town. And when you add to that all of these hotel closures and the fact that there are no tourists, which was the biggest economic driver uh, for San Francisco, was their tourism. It's one of the most beautiful cities in the world. When you're not downtown, where the poop maps are are needed. Um, yeah, it, it it's a serious, serious issue. So it's not just e-commerce.
2: Right. Well, I was saying, you know, there is there is a a negative effect e-commerce is having on uh, retail stores, large e-stores, retail stores. I know in, in New Jersey, you go through a mall and a lot of these malls have stores that can't stay open because everybody buys everything online. But like you said, it's much more than that. I grew up in a a city, uh, North New Jersey, that was once considered to be a beautiful city. Uh, And then it it suffered through the riots of the 1960s, like so many other different um, cities. And it never recovered from that. And I've heard similar things said about Chicago, Detroit, other places that were once thriving metropolises. And they get hit, and it takes so much to recover. And and a lot of these places don't come back. We're going to see that as the the effect of a lot of the BLM riots that were for just a few years ago. You know, you burn down these neighborhoods because you know, you're upset because some guy was shot by a cop. You, You know, you throw a Molotov cocktail at a Wendy's or you loot up the Walgreens or whatever. And these places, they a lot of these places, they don't want to recover. If you're a retail store and you got a business in some of these cities where you don't feel you're going to make any money, that you're losing too much to shoplifting and crime, and your even your employees don't feel safe, then there's no need to keep these places open. And and that's the point. is the death of uh, death of cities. There's a lot of ways to kill the cities. You know, either kill it through rioting, you kill it through crime, the drug problem gets out of hand, the educational problem, it becomes too much of a gap between the education you get living in a city like Newark and uh, the education you would get if you were growing up in a suburb, you know.
0: And do you know what San Francisco did during the pandemic? the very first few months of the pandemic, do you know what San Francisco did? They decided that they needed to rename 41 of their schools, 41 of their schools, including Dianne Feinstein Elementary School. Dianne Feinstein, I don't know what the problem with Dianne Feinstein was, but you know, so yeah, they spent all this money redesigning all of the letterhead all of the signs all the signage all that all that kind of stuff during the pandemic when nobody was going to these buildings but that's the mindset of san francisco and so i can understand about you know e-commerce but the fact of the matter is for some cities like this city where tourism is a big issue because people do go and shop even if online shopping is a big thing when you go to a lot of like where all those cable cars are that street um, the all those are like souvenir shops and big name stores and those kinds of things Um, that is thriving because tourists are there it's one thing you know in some place where tourists don't normally go Uh, I'm gonna say New Jersey but anyway I'm just saying you know
2: New Jersey is the tourist capital of the country (laughs) will have you know to come from around the world. Oh, sure, (laughs) I'm sure to see your professional
0: sports team that you don't have. Even they moved to New York. So I'm just saying, you know, when you've got a big city like San Francisco that's got a lot of natural beauty. And so, I mean, cable cars are really expensive to ride. Um, And so all of this stuff, and with the tourism, I mean, hotel industry did quite, quite well. But it's a ghost town, and that's, that's really sad to see.
2: Looking at the article now, uh, this is also from about a week or so ago. It says, recent developments have painted a worrying picture for San Francisco's once thriving commercial real estate market, with retail giants like Nordstrom announcing closures and Westfield now making the shocking decision to abandon its iconic San Francisco mall in the wake of declining sales, foot traffic, and a drooping retail landscape throughout the city. So yeah, it's it's getting bad. It's getting bad and um, and there's no reason to be optimistic it could turn around.
0: Well, folks, your lesson is enact uh, constitutionally fiscal policies, conservative policies, uh, and don't ignore some of the problems and don't let crime sprees occur without penalty so
2: exactly and you saw a little bit of the video in the video i was happy to see that there seemed to be uh an ample police presence especially outside of some of these stores that are getting looted like the louis vuitton for example there was a cop standing there because people were running to louis vuitton and taking as many of those thousand dollars purses as they can carry and just walking out so that's how you that's how you have to fight this plague you need ample police presence to get the defund the police movement you need better schools you need lower taxes to attract businesses you can't scare businesses away with uh, with a high minimum wage for example and if you do do those things there's no reason why um, your city will decline but as i was saying before i'm not optimistic about uh these things happening in uh, these major cities because they're they're so blue they're so blue so a bluer city they don't seem to want cops and they and they wanna they want everyone to get paid twenty dollars an hour to work at the mcdonald's so it's uh it's a depressing picture definitely
0: yeah, it was very sad to see because, as I said, I'm not a Californian anymore. I don't claim California anymore. But still, that was very sad to see because I could tell you, as I said, the names of some of those stores. And so to see my childhood, in essence, just die before my very eyes was was very sobering.
2: So, yeah, there's uh, there's a lot of ways to kill a city. And we've seen this happen to cities across the country. You know, as I mentioned, there are a lot of cities that died during the riots, either the 60s riot or the BLM riots. We saw um, that they fund the police movement, make cities less safe, and that's that's killing the city almost literally because the homicide rate seems to go up. And of yeah. course, it's, it's us who are affected Disproportionate of it, but it's not always us who get to move out these cities so quickly. We see cities die because of tax policy. You know, it, it, the taxes are too high to sustain a business, especially if you have a uh, a minimum wage that doesn't match the market. You know, there are some areas where you can afford to have a McDonald's worker making twenty dollars an hour, but that's not necessarily true in every city. So when you have a gap between how much an employee is worth and how much you have to pay him. That's very discouraging for a business. And, and of course, we, we saw the, the shop living epidemic. We can see that every day. Um, people just walk in, take your entire inventory and walk out. And that's happening from Louis Vuitton. That's happening in places like Home Depot. Depot. They just They just put the biggest machinery in the cart and walk out and then resell it on, uh, online that day. So um, that's that, those are the problems, and, and there, there are some answers to them, but it's not always optimistic, we, we have the political will to enact those answers.
0: Well, you know, and I was going to say another big issue is the gentrification. Because if you're going to say, okay, I'm paying $15 an hour or whatever it is, um, and then rents are $5,000 for you know, a two-bedroom or a three-bedroom, something like that. I saw a flat, uh, it's, so a condo, um, that was, I want to say that it was um, 800 and something thousand dollars in San Francisco no one's going to pay that. And on $15 an hour, who's so all of the people are moving out of the city. In fact, they're moving out of the state. I'm part of that exodus, as you know. And so who's going to, who's going to work for that $15 an hour, if you've got the very, very, very rich, or you've got the homeless. So these are all serious, serious issues that San Francisco needs to figure out. And forget all this reparations, hoo-ha, because you don't have a dime to pay anybody. And you really need to take care of your own problems first before you address people that weren't even alive 150 years ago in a state that didn't have slaves.
2: They'll admit that. They'll admit that as soon as they get (laughs) reelected, then when election time comes again, they'll bring up reparations again.
0: Yeah, but they have a black mayor, right? They have the first black woman mayor. And so, you know,
2: but she can't we don't want to talk money. about a
0: failed policy or a failed administration, a failed administration under her because that's racist. Not because she's handing out poop maps, right? And not because she's advocating for people getting $5 million when she can't even keep people in her own city to work, to live, to uh, even come to visit. And they want to be able to say, don't be going to Texas and don't go to these other places. Come on, man, to quote someone that we all. No. So, on that note, we will wrap up another episode of African American Conservatives, the soul of a conservative movement. Please be sure to go to acons.substack.com and uh, follow all of our social media there um, and uh, our uh, commentary, our podcasts, and Consider subscribing uh, to our podcast uh, at Spotify uh, and help financially sustain our show so that we can bring you more great content.
2: Just want to mention that we're starting to live stream every Thursday night, so you might want to join in for that too. Uh, be a part of the discussion, and of course, want to say, "God save the queen, man." <laughs>
0: So that's it. I'm out from Studio C.
2: This is DK. And
0: we'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to this episode of African American Conservatives, the soul of the conservative movement. You can find us online at aconssubstackcom anchor.fm forward slash A-A-C-O-N-S, and also, you can support our work at anchor.fm forward slash AACONS forward slash support.